It's Friday, February 5th. You're listening to the Tech Breakfast Podcast, the show that brings you delicious tech news headlines and all the gossipy hot takes you can handle with Tyler Gates, Russ Cantwell, and Aaron Bewley. How's it going, Tyler? So good. Awesome, it's always man. weird when we record this in the afternoon. I have both more energy and less energy simultaneously because go figure, it's like two o'clock and that's right after that post-lunch slump. Mm-hmm. Luckily, I'm not there yet because I had a really late lunch today, so my stomach has not completely taken over digestion. Plus, it's a Friday, right? Fridays always feel good. Fridays but I'm crushing, crushing this uh, sugar-free Red Bull, and it's my daughter's seventh birthday, so hey! I got partying to do. Yeah, nice. man. I yeah. already had a sugar-free Red Bull, and I kind of want another one now, because you flashed <laughs> that, which means that my brain's probably addicted to it, and that's not good. Yeah, yeah. I'm probably uh, going to crack in one of those. It seems like it's about time for our sponsorship for hitting 20,000 plays. Red Bull, are you out there? Are you listening? I keep listening. (laughs) Man. So what's in the news? Oh, I know. What? We're really bad at math. (laughs) (laughs) I do not know how or why my brain fixated on the uh, Beat Saber songs. Yeah, the 40 million. Grossly. (laughs) wrong on the math side of it like four million guess how many zeros you need to make 40 million out of four million it's not a lot one zero is a factor 10 it's one it's It's one one. it's a factor 10 songs per user that that is completely reasonable in fact it sounds low for four million (laughs) users if people are actually buying songs so like Full retraction, except that it's audio and it's on the internet already and we can't actually take it back. Nope. So if I could inject this into that show, I'd probably do it, <laughs> but I'm not actually going to do that. So we will forever be wrong and so very, very uh, wrong over and over again. My brain was so conflicted because I, I trust you. I mean, I've known you for <laughs> so many years and you're so good at math. Like you're just, you're so smart on that stuff, man. And I just like, I didn't even th- I didn't even think. Didn't I just even like, think like a about lemming it. just followed you right off the cliff. It was terrible. Like, terrible. Well, I don't know I guess how. he's doing it right. <laughs> no. Uh-uh. I, I don't know if I heard it wrong or I thought it wrong, but obviously I thought it was absurd because I think I said it like 18 yeah. times. Well, I kept and, looking at it and I kept seeing the zero and my brain kept <laughs> focusing in on that zero and, and thinking 10, thinking, no, factor of 10, factor <laughs> of 10. But then I was just like, yeah, you're right. Whatever. If 4 million yeah, that, songs. That's crazy. Nope. Yep. That's ridiculous. That'd be like 40 users, not even like four to 10 million songs a piece. Dude. So as soon as, so Jay Boisseau, um, who was a guest, a guest on our show a few shows ago, uh, texted me. Is he the one who called it out? The next day. Yeah. He's he's hilarious. That That is hilarious. But anyway, right after he said that, (laughs) right after he said that, uh, well, he has like a PhD in something, right? You only have like four master's degrees. So. (laughs) <laughs> I don't have four, but I don't know just how kidding. people get their PhDs. I can't. I like just wrapping but, my head around thesis, like a full blown. I mean, people do that for their masters too. Don't get me wrong, but like, whoa! So <laughs> mad props to you PhDs out there. I'm just teasing you, but anyway, what it made me immediately think of was when you saw like top of the line uh, news anchors talking about. I'm just blanking on the politician's name that spent $500 million on uh, marketing for the, uh, the, the, uh, the democratic primaries. Oh, uh, Bloomberg, uh, was it Bloomberg? Yeah. Yeah. I think it was him. Well, anyway. I, I know he spent a ton of money. I don't know if he's the one you're referencing specifically. Yeah. Well, so they were saying if they spent, he spent $500 million on advertisements. And so people were like, <laughs> freaking out because they're like he could have given every person in the US a million dollars and and then they were yes. talking about it on the news and they're like can yeah. you believe you'd spend that much every he could have given every person a million dollars and it was just no it's a factor problem there right because just a small one 300 yeah. something million people in the United yeah, States yeah exactly he could so. give every person like a dollar 27 <laughs> whatever <laughs> it's like a 50 cent piece <sighs> at least it's pretty good times good times, good times. <laughs> imagine okay. the shipping um, cost sending 50 yeah. cents to everybody in the united states yep 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 um okay what do we got now uh we talked about vr stuff on the last show uh, right after that uh apple dropped some vr headset stuff 8k in each eye which we've talked about previously on the yeah. show as well that our vision the- is peak resolution 
yeah, peak resolution. What was it like? Eight K or ten K, something like something that. like that. Yeah, I feel like Russ Russ knows all those stats uh, better than I do for sure, and, uh, and he definitely talked about it. But we, I, th- I feel like we got to be getting close, yeah. especially because of the way that we. I mean, the way that headsets work, right? You've got a lens that's basically giving you that, you know, sort of feel of it being further away. So I don't even know that you need the same amount of pixel density that you would um, in other applications where you're really close to the screen, right? Yeah. There is an ideal. In fact, I'll bet you could just go out and look at like the projector math because there are ideal throw distances for a certain number of pixels based on where you where you're seated, right? So, you know, the, for instance, in, in a movie theater, uh, and I remember this. Uh, shout out to Thaddeus Grant Fenton because he was the first one that told me about it. But there is an we ideal. We need to get him on the show, by the way. We should. We absolutely should. He needs I'm to sure talk about movie topics. technology. Yes, and we can talk about the argument we had in like 2004 about digital versus film. Um, cause I, I'm pretty sure I was right. That's why I want to have that conversation, <laughs> but he knows a lot more about film than I do. Um, Let's circle back to a conversation from 17 years ago. Real quick. <laughs> I'm sure I was right. No. And the world needs to know about it. No, no, no. It was, but you know, well, actually this, this plays into that, right? Because, um, if I remember this conversation it's something I did not know about film is that it, it's, uh, think about how negatives work and how you can take the negative from uh, you know, a, a traditional film camera or video camera, something that's recording, um, and you can basically blow that up to any size, right? Like that's, that's the beauty of film. And at the time, I was a total dork on the tech side, and I knew what was happening with digital cameras and digital sensors and the fact that while that's true, that they, a physical media is is effectively limitless in the amount of information that's there we would my argument was that we were going to hit a point where the resolution of digital devices was so good mm-hmm. that it wouldn't matter for almost any application and the format because of its ability to avoid aberrations and fix other things and be able to collect most of the information you'd need, but then actually be able to tune it better than you could with the negative of a film in, in certain cases would, would drive it way past film for, for that type of media. Sure. And uh, I, Grant was actually in film school at the time, and I'm sure he was learning oodles about the history of all of that. And he, he was very staunchly opposed in that particular case. But it was a, it was a fascinating conversation because film is still really, really neat in the way that it works. And, and I'm sure he could get into that uh, in great detail too. But yeah, man. M- point, point here being the, like if you look at how you uh, ideally sit in a theater in a certain position to get a certain amount of the screen taking up a certain amount of your vision. Ideally, mm-hmm. it's like, the screen edges are right at the edge of your periphery. You're looking right in the middle of the screen and you can't see anything but the screen. Like that's the ideal seat in the theater. And there's really a small pocket where that's going to be. Is it really like all the way at the edge or would it be like towards the, the edge of the visual focus area? I, f- I forget what the ideal is. I just remember yeah. him showing me or talking to me about like, like when Grant and I would go to watch a movie, he'd be like, these are the four seats we're allowed to sit in. Right. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. The rest of them are garbage. So let's find out if we can get there, you know, stuff like yeah. that. Um, but similarly with uh, home theaters, right? Your the size of your television, the resolution of that television, and then your seating distance determines matter how a lot. far you should be back. So, yeah. So you don't need an 8K TV if if you're sitting 17 feet away from it because your eye literally can't tell the difference between 8,000 pixels and maybe even 2,000 pixels depending on your distance from it. Whereas you blow it up to the size of your wall and it's 150 inches, you know, corner to corner, then at 12 feet or 17 feet, you might actually notice the difference right. in pixels. So you need more pixels so that your eye doesn't notice it and it starts to blend it all together. I think the same thing, well, not I think, I, I'm certain that this is true, but you will hit a limit to which the added pixels in something like VR mm-hmm. no longer matter. Yeah. And the only exception I can think of to that being near to us is that like, remember when iPhones first came out with the retina screen and that was the big mm-hmm. stuff. Yeah. And they were basically saying, you know, for where people hold their phones, you're, you're really not going to be able to distinguish any pixels from each other. Well, they, that's arguably that's peak resolution for a cell phone because yeah. you're either not going to get a whole lot closer right. you know, or, <laughs> or, 
even if you did, like what, what benefit are you getting out of adding, doubling the pixels in something that's that close to you? You could make yeah. the form factor slightly larger, but it's, it's a cell phone. It doesn't really your pocket matter. Yeah. is probably going to define how big in your hand, how comfortably large you can make it. In, in VR, I would assume some of what drives maybe a, a higher upper limit, um, though I doubt it's infinity, would be the image that you see could possibly be made larger in the virtual space with better clarity if the screen has higher resolution. Does that make sense? Like, it does. <clears throat> and you, I feel you like you can have a theater size today, but you could have 10 times that tomorrow and it would look clean if you had two times the resolution that we have available now. Sure. Anyways, that's yeah. a rabbit hole. No, I feel you. Um, I would, lo- I, I will be excited whenever we can get VR to where, um, you know, like some of the stuff we were working on with Daniel, right. Where you can kind of go into, you know, put the headset on and go work in this virtual space with virtual monitors and all that kind of stuff. But I want to, I want it to have the same sort of feel where I'm reading my email yeah. and it's, it's like, it's real life HD, you know? So, and that, right and now, that right I think there. is going to take more and more resolution. I yeah. think resolution and but processing, a, I imagine is part of that too. Yeah. But that experience is on a $300 gen one Oculus versus a right. 10 times as much, yeah. you know, whatever AK Apple thing is going to happen. So, all right, cool. That reminds me too, because Russ couldn't join us on Wednesday, um, but he responded to one of the tech breakfast tweets. And he actually said that there, there is sort of the, we talked about the field of view Oh yeah. and he said it was uh 200 degrees is oh, that ideal makes sense. for I, was, I almost mentioned that because it's, it's, it's like you have to have light coming from the back side yeah. in order to feel it. And then when you turn your eye to the side as well, you're going yeah. to expand your view past 180 on the side. And that's, that's what I, like, we actually mentioned it on the show, but I was, I was trying to think, I didn't know what the angle would be, but I figured it was past 182 because when yeah. you look to the side, your peripheral vision goes past that, you know, imaginary plane sure. through your, your visual you know center. So, but that's cool. So 200 degrees. And that what pretty, uh, he also said, I think it's like 100, 120 is the standard today. I'm not looking. Yeah, at yeah, it's so where it's we at. We got a ways today. to go. It needs to get twice that. Yeah, we look pretty funny here on the uh, on the Zoom with our hands like flying all over the place, <laughs> trying to show waving angles. our hands all over. <laughs> yeah. We're not we're not showing anyone any of this, but we're talking that, with our hands. A lot. I wanted to, yeah, I wanted to bring that up to the audience though. Um, what do y'all think if we created a video version of this and published it to YouTube? Um, would that be something that people want? Let us know. I don't know. Uh, it may be, it may open us up to new customers, new customers. Sorry, that's my business speak. New audience. <laughs> um, they, they would, sorry. But, they'd get uh, unfortunately familiar with my, the comings and goings of my beard. <laughs> my, they would my also beard see comes Kate in coming in and out. Thick and fast. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Good news for me. My kids never come in my office and I can't grow facial hair. So I'm set. <laughs> Anyway, <laughs> let us know if you think that's a good idea or if you have any suggestions on it, whatever. Um, we're also toying around with maybe the thoughts of an email list for people that don't like to listen or watch and just like to read. And we can just send out an email list to people that might be interested in what we are talking about. So, But maybe those people would never knows, even hear this. So who knows? Yeah, I mean, that's true. If anybody knows of like a quick way to aggregate something like show notes <clears throat> and put it into a more consumable format, that'd be really cool too because that's... We end up with a lot of, you know, content because it's yeah, based on it headlines. It never goes anywhere. Yeah, <laughs> but we don't yeah. we don't necessarily have the time or take the time to to really put together good follow up notes. But we know we know it'd be cool. Mm-hmm. We just need a faster way to do it. Yeah, volunteers <laughs> to help. <laughs> <laughs> All right, let's move on before I continue <laughs> to abuse servitude. our customers. <laughs> <laughs> All right. All right. All right. What's in the news? Uh, So Clubhouse, I keep seeing in the news. It keeps popping up. This one was interesting. Uh, Chinese flock to freewheeling U.S. chat app Clubhouse. This was on uh, this was on tech meme today. Let me go back and find the one that was that was uh, that was on there. Well, first of all, Mark Zuckerberg made a surprise appearance on Clubhouse yesterday. So those of you all that aren't on there, that is the one that, that those things like that to me, are the value in what Clubhouse can bring, right? It's basically, you're getting on a conference call with people you would never be on a call with. That is cool. You would That's never like be a, able to- the Reddit AMA of a, a totally yeah, different format. Which exactly is awesome. right. 
Well, and it's what drew me to Twitter initially, right? Because it, like when my wife was on Twitter for 48 hours before she was banned and, you know, said she was never going to return, she was like, so how does this work? And I was like, well, you can follow some of your favorite people. And, you know, and she's, I was like, who are you interested in? She said, well, Matthew McConaughey, duh. And so <laughs> yeah. I pulled him up and I was like, you want to send him something? She's like, yeah, just tell him I love him. And I was like, okay, this will be public <laughs> or whatever. Mm-hmm. I wish I couldn't, can't remember the hum from uh, yeah. Wall Street, but that's all I yeah. think about. With but him. yeah, you see that here in Clubhouse, right? Where, you know, Zuckerberg shows up or Mark Cuban shows up or whatever it is. Um, but anyway, uh, the headline here that I was bringing up, users in mainland China are flocking to Clubhouse, a rare space outside the country's firewall where they can speak freely with people from Hong Kong and Taiwan. But again, if it's outside the country's firewall, how are they doing that? That's what I was trying to figure yeah, out. Yeah, so. I'm surprised that that it is like something, and maybe it's because it's not that well-known or popular yet, but yeah, I don't, I don't feel like getting outside of China's firewall is a very easy task. Yeah. Yeah. Anyway, or maybe it's just short-lived. Yeah, maybe it just hasn't got to the point where China has uh, has done something about it yet. But um, anyway, Somebody those are the things that I act that uh, that are cool about Clubhouse. Anyway, connecting with people that you can't typically connect with. Anyway, what yeah, else? I haven't done anything with it. I haven't employed. Well, I I found out something that I find depressing uh, yesterday, and uh, oh, I no. think the first time I saw the notification may have been last week. But there's an extension that I brought up because. Uh, we talked about this before, but I am a tab hoarder in, uh, well, every operating system that has yeah. uh, tabs. and Always uh, have been. I have, I have a funny joke about that, actually. I will share in a minute. Um, anyways, I had stumbled across a an extension uh, sometime back called the Ultimate Suspender, I believe. And um, it, it reduces the very hungry RAM utilization of Chrome by suspending tabs and basically backgrounding it. Well... It turned malicious last week, and uh, I immediately kind of dug in to see what that was. It's pretty cool because Google shut it down like that, right? Like they turned it off as soon as they became aware of it. And I haven't had a chance to dig in to see how long this is potentially going on. But uh, the the stuff that I found basically said that it was at least capable of, if not, they had proven it was collecting usernames and passwords, which really sucks. Be well for obvious reasons, but. Um, it, it was another shot across the bow for extensions and how how they can quickly become manipulative or malicious, uh, yeah. which I think is, is a big problem for modern browsers in general. And once again, and, uh, I'll quote the Dark Knight on that. You either die a hero or you live long enough to see yourself <laughs> become the villain. And yet we see that happen again. Fact. <laughs> okay, so so back to something more fun yeah. about uh, tab hoarding. Um, I've kept this to myself uh, because it happened the day after we had the conversation last time about Uh all the open tabs, right? Um, Chrome for Android also has a little tab counter as most browsers do on mobile platforms. Mm -hmm. Guess what happens when you get over 100? It turns to a smiley face, I thought, or like a frowny face. I thought you said that before. It's a smiley face. Yeah, I didn't yeah. remember saying that. Yeah, I've had a smiley yeah. face since we had that podcast. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> I, th- I remember you telling me that, or maybe somebody else did. We didn't talk about it here. Maybe. I, I yeah, didn't remember talking about it on the show, but yeah, I have. Uh, I have had a smiley face for quite some time now. Um, and at this point, because it never gets smaller, because I'll go through and I'll, I'll like, I'll just think, <laughs> I'm bored. I'll prune and I'll knock out like 15. Still a smiley face. Yeah. <laughs> Yep, needs to be a frowning a face. It um, should be a frowning face. <laughs> hey, is GME dead? Is it over? Are they still holding? Ooh, is it still it's a big question? Hands? I think well, a lot of people are still holding. So, I think th- this is going to be really interesting. Um, I'm sure a lot of people are holding. I'm sure a lot of retail investors also got uh, scared off, right? But um, what what is really curious about how that unfolded was the there seems to be some indication that the entities that held significant short positions started making claims, which might be construed as manipulative claims, stating that they had exited their short positions Mm -hmm. uh, like late last week, maybe. And then uh, investment research funds uh, or groups like S3 is one that's really popular, also makes short reports where they talk about the, the percent short to share, percent short to float, and stuff like that. And something that happened over the weekend, last weekend, 
uh, was that S3 in particular on Friday uh, showed that the short to float percentage for GME was 121%, I think, and, which means that, that the shorts had shorted more shares then we're available by 121%. Mm-hmm. So the synthetic shares that can be created by options trading, which is a total rabbit hole that I don't think makes any sense to go into unless we're going to be a financial podcast. But long story we're short- We're too far down that already. We, yeah. we might be, but but it's, it's interesting because of the social media side, because of the tech yeah. side, because of uh, investing. And, and honestly, high frequency trading has a lot to do with this too. Um, anyways, so- on Friday, it was 121%. On Saturday, it was 123%. And then for the first time like ever, S3 changed the way that they calculated this using a non-standard calculation based on their historicals and said all of a sudden it was 53%. Now, what happened was the way they changed their calculation was by, for some reason, adding in all of these synthetic shares to the baseline, the denominator, which made the number look different. In fact, the, the short percentage had gone up from Saturday to Sunday, which again, after hours, this is there's a lot of just baggage yeah. here on how how trades happen outside of uh, retail trading hours. It's all legal, by the way. It's just messy, um, and and that combined with behavior on Friday, if I'm not mistaken, or maybe well, yeah, it would it would have been dominantly on Friday called short laddering which is where high-frequency trading groups will basically swap shares back and forth, driving the price down synthetically Yeah. in order to try to close out short positions at a lower price point. Because ultimately what was happening here and the spikes that you saw, uh, you probably heard us talk about gamma squeezes and stuff like that. There, there are a lot of rules about how options or derivative tradings must work. And so when... Retail got wind of GameStop, uh, the short squeeze opportunity. And that that means there aren't enough shares yeah. for the short positions to cover their so obligated sales. To make it more so, difficult for... So they, yeah. they bought it up. And this is unusual because retail doesn't usually have that much influence on a particular stock. You think about yeah. you know, what you might own in a particular stock is going to be you know, literal dust compared sure. to maybe the CEO or major uh, you know, hedge funds and stuff like that. Well, in GME's case, retail investors and, and some big investors too, basically recognize the opportunity to buy up the shares and force those short positions to cover, which right. means that they should be, by law, they only have a certain window of time at expiration to go and get the shares and be done with it. Well, th- there's a lot of really interesting stuff. Michael Berry, again, the, the gentleman who was sort of responsible for the, the movie The Big Short, and they, you know, he he was one of the first whistleblowers on the fact that they they had massively over-leveraged the derivative side of uh, mortgage-backed securities, right? Well, he also had a substantial position in GameStop for this reason. And when it started to escalate, he actually went and told his bank, hey, I no longer want to allow you to lend my shares out for derivative trading. This is something you can do through most brokerages, even if it's an individual retail investor. There are certain conditions that have to be met. For instance, you can't own those on margin. Each brokerage probably has some different rules. Well, he... I think he made a tweet and it was deleted, but I guess that's normal for him. Um, it took them weeks to find out where his shares were, quote unquote, hmm. big air quotes. Here, okay. right? And and the problem he believes, because part of the reason he was in this position in the first place, um, is that uh, he he knew, or he's he's making the claim that it was so heavily shorted that the number of synthetic shares is borderline gross negligence from yeah. the market perspective. Yeah. And so what happens when all of those retail traders, folks like Michael Berry, large organizations that identified that short, when they held onto those shares and the float basically went to none available for the shorts to close their position, what should have happened mathematically and legally through market makers, through the citadels of the world yeah. and through the hedge funds that t- had those short positions and then the uh, what DTCC, the, the clearinghouse basically for stocks, yeah. is that brokerages like Robinhood, and this is exactly what happened to them, they have to 
they do something called delta hedging. And, and I'm still wrapping my head around this, but the delta hedge is what forces that gamma squeeze. And yeah. that's why you'll hear a short squeeze and you'll hear gamma squeeze. The gamma squeeze is gamma is the second order derivative. So delta is how much it like uh, an options price changes relative to the price of the stock. Gamma is how quickly delta is changing. How fast that's happening. Yeah. The right. Rate, so the so yeah. it's the rate. Yeah. So you think like if if delta is it, sorry if the price of a stock is uh, a position, delta is a velocity, and gamma is an acceleration. Right. Sure. Yeah. Well. The delta for GameStop, because of the position that the options were in and because of how significantly shorted it was, went to one, which is yeah, as high as it can go. Infinite. For, yeah. for, every, for every change, you know, the option is going to change 100% based on that, right? And, and so gamma, obviously, in that moment, went through the freaking roof. Well, what happens then is that DTCC, the clearinghouse, changes the collateral requirements for what the broker just have to have on hand in yeah. an attempt to prevent an illiquidity event, which we kind yeah, of yeah. talked about the last time we got into this. Well, overnight, what, what, cause a lot of the retail investors that are holding GameStop were using platforms like Robinhood overnight, Robinhood's collateral requirements, their requirement to either have the shares or have cash on hand to basically put up a percentage of yeah. the buy. So you buy a share of GameStop, before the clearinghouse clears it, which takes two to three days, I think, um, the the collateral is usually a really low percentage. So if it costs ten dollars, they have to put up ten cents, and then when it when the share gets delivered, they pay the remainder. Well, DTCC jacked up because of volatility, not a necessarily inappropriate thing. They jacked up the collateral requirements for GameStop to one hundred percent. So mm-hmm. for every dollar of the share's value. That was purchased at Robinhood had to pony up 100% of that value for every share that was purchased. So they got painted into a corner systematically. And, and again, there's nothing necessarily inappropriate about this part. What Robinhood, I think, did grossly wrong was putting out statements that said, We're doing this to protect you, the investors. Right. Yeah. Really, what they were doing is protecting themselves. Yeah. They should have said it that way and then they should have explained what risk it had for investors too because to some extent if Robinhood goes totally illiquid, can't get the shares because they don't exist, that is bad for in retail investors too. But instead they said we're doing this to protect you. People do not understand how any of this I didn't know how any of this worked until last week reading through all of this. I find it incredibly curious and fascinating, and it's it's just neat to dig into it. But uh, but they made some serious PR decisions that were bad, and um, and now now the question is, was the behavior in the market that drove the price down to as low as it is now, was that manipulative and legal? Because if it's manipulative, it's not legal. If it broke any other laws, it's potentially not legal. If yeah. If it was preventable, having such a tremendously large short position, for instance, arguably shouldn't be possible. Naked shorts aren't legal, but because of the way that options traders can basically cover their tracks by having a short position and then purchasing the the other side of the option contract, right? Write a call, that's a short position, buy a call, that yeah. you can cover it. Well, that's where you get the synthetic shares. That's where things get yeah, really yeah. complicated. So, so the the idea here is that the clearinghouse has millions, millions of failure to deliver transactions, which is an indicator that something very bad is happening in the way that the GameStop was being traded. So, to answer your question in the longest way possible, there, <laughs> I don't, I don't know that it's over. Yeah. Because the short position is still massive. The yeah. failure to deliver is massive. I mean, think mm-hmm. like it should be maybe tens of thousands because things do happen in the clearinghouse yeah. because our system is antiquated, right? Um, it should What should be tens of thousands or thousands relative to the, the volume is millions, which is which is wrong. It means that people who should be able to prove that they have collateral, so the stock in this case as a, as a short seller, can't. 
And and that's still a very real position that that GameStop shares are in. So I, I don't know if it's done. I don't know if it'll ever actually see a short squeeze. Uh, at this point, it's it's exactly what we talked about before, which is people forget is that it? Wall Street bets as a community is just as excited about the loss side of the equation. Yeah, because exactly. Goofballs. So it doesn't matter that they're down $100,000 on their investment. They're so, literally laughing and chanting hold anyways. So it's a unique <laughs> thing. Yeah. Yeah. That that is that is a community that I think is vastly misunderstood in the in They're the gambling. Yes. And the they're doing it and openly. People, yeah. And people are freaking out. They're like, oh, you're being so responsible. It's like, that's what their community <laughs> is all about. They so, built but, it on that. Yeah. But I guess, are we at the point where, you know, okay, the uniqueness of the situation was interesting and we talked about it and it's kind of over and it's dying down. We're going to move on to the next thing or is it going to turn into something else? Are we going to see different uh, legislation? Are we I, going think, to see I think lawsuits? to be seen, right? Are we going I, to see, I, well, I do think yeah. that there are going to be lawsuits. Uh, Robinhood alone, just the brokerage side has multiple class action suits against it because of the restrictions that they put in place. And Robinhood wasn't alone in those restrictions, right? The brokerages there. I don't think those are going to hold a lot of water, but I'm not a legal or financial expert by any means. I just, I'm looking at what, what, what the brokerages are required to do and basically what your agreement probably lets them get away with. And most of the things it sucks, but yeah, I'm sorry, you signed the dotted line kind of stuff. Um, I think it will quickly turn into an obscure topic nobody talks about unless there is legislation or something more profound comes yeah. from like the Senate investigation. Do you think there should or, be? Or a short squeeze actually happens. Yeah. Based on everything you've seen, do you think there should be legislation uh, enacted or, or, or people uh, punished? Man, I mean, it's it's so outside Maybe I'm of my... Maybe too much of a spot, yeah. No, no, no. I mean, I, take it this it's totally my opinion. Yeah, that for sure. something about how that all worked out is very, very broken, right? Yeah. Now, whether or not it was illegal is, I have no idea, right? Sure. By first pass, it doesn't look to me like there there was really illegal behavior, but but that's where maybe it should be illegal. Yeah, and and I would argue that this, the ability for the clearinghouse and the the brokerages to create an ecosystem where a where where any business can be so overshorted with synthetic shares shares that don't really exist um, to the point where it's actually bad for their business because that that can happen there is yeah. downward pressure when you get that heavy of a short position right I. I don't understand why we would even want that in our financial yeah. system. And then pull that thread out far enough to realize that, as always, retail investors are going to have the, the bags to hold at the end of this. <laughs> Things like being able to it's swap shares after hours. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Oh, my goodness. <laughs> oh my goodness. So, some of it's Anyways, it's something, something about that is very broken, right? So yeah. the, the, the market is expected to be self-optimizing in certain ways. And I think most retail yeah. investors understand that they're never going to have the ability to keep up with stuff like algorithmic high-frequency trading. Arguably fair. Now, whether or not yeah. that should be that way, totally different question. But there's so much money in it. This is the United States. I doubt that that's going to be regulated out. But I do think that they need to look into how these kinds of short positions can create a situation where a social media platform can catch wind of a potential short yeah. squeeze opportunity and it creates a system where DTCC recognizes that you could have complete market illiquidity because yeah. of how grossly negligent and risky hedge funds were being with those short positions yeah. like wh why yeah, exactly. would that why should that ever be possible right, right. exactly all right, let's move on. Let's move on. Uh, here's another thing that is uh, related to tech and still uh, still Wall Street. So we'll kind of make the tangent um, sidestep there. Perfect. This one, Wall Street wrestles with how to value 100-year-old GM and Ford as automaking goes all in on EVs. And I need to find out where this is, but I thought I saw that GM was going to switch entirely to electric by 2035, maybe I thought I saw. Wow. 14 years from now. No more combustion, internal combustion engines or ice, as you'll see it sometimes. Yeah. If you're if you're in that game, but I, some of the some, yeah some of the key points here, Ford says they're going to invest twenty nine billion dollars in EVs, wow. 
and autonomous through 2025. So the next four years, $29 billion. Tiny, tiny dollars. Yeah. And so, so Wall Street's trying to figure out, you know, how do we value these companies? And if you look up the uh, valuation on Tesla, $851 per share, that doesn't really tell you much on the valuation. You have to multiply it by shares again. We've talked about this. Market cap, $806 billion is the valuation of Tesla. General Motors is about 10% of that. They're at $77 billion. And wild, because how Ford, many more vehicles do Ford and GM deliver on an annual basis compared to Tesla? Yeah, well, and Ford is is roughly half of GM at $45 billion, and they have the number one selling vehicle, the Ford F-150, which they're talking about moving to EV as well. The, so, the thing that gets me on on like yeah. not knowing how to evaluate it is um, what what is it about a traditional automobile manufacturer that lets them deliver volume? And and that's a rhetorical question, but is it that the engines run on combustible fluids? Or is it they, no. they have enough manufacturing yeah. capability to pump out millions of vehicles, right? Yeah, so as and that they've as got they the quality, out, they've got the quality, exactly. they've got the engineering, they've got the support, they've got the services, all that yeah, kind of the, stuff. Right? The whole production system is right. tuned to produce vehicles. And and I'm, I'm sorry, but once they figure out an attractive battery version and they reconfigure the line, just like they do every time they yeah. release a new, you know, at least a new, uh, you know, frame, right. Yeah. Or, or a new engine is a perfect example. It's like lots of things have to change on a manufacturing line. They've done this a thousand times. They're just way behind the curve on coming up with an attractive, useful electric vehicle. Yeah. But as soon as they're there, Shoot, the Tesla's software probably going to use their plants between now and then. Yeah, for sure. And so, I mean, I this is, again, no stock advice, no nothing, but yeah. it just brings a lot of questions to my mind because Ford's valuation is roughly 120th of Tesla's, yeah, right? Which One of the largest auto manufacturers in the world wild. is 120th that of Tesla's. And now they're shifting saying, hey, we're going to go in all EV. Does that change the story? Do they have to have significant advancements from a software perspective, an autonomous driving perspective? Well, um, and, do they need a CEO they, that tweets memes all the time to change that? <laughs> you know probably. what I mean? No, <laughs> but, but that does bring up some really good questions yeah. about what is it that makes Tesla valuable, right? Yeah. Is it how many cars they deliver? Probably not. Or at least if you're making that argument, then how much you're paying for a share doesn't make any sense to me. Um, is it... the the fact that they're a decade ahead in autonomous driving technology, yeah, quite possible. But that's where, how do companies like Ford and IBM and GM and uh, I mean, you, you name them. IBM all doesn't of make cars. No, no, I'm, this wasn't about cars in that case. <laughs> Sorry, I know. How, how do you how do you fix a glaring hole in your portfolio when you're that big, that old, yeah. and have that much yeah. money? Well, that was something it. too. You what? You buy it? You buy it. Buy you acquire it. Yeah. the technology. So, right. so Ford doesn't need to have Tesla's autom autonomous driving or or most beautiful interface. They buy the second best one. Mm -hmm. And improve And on. then they're Ford with the second best automobile or automated driving platform. Yeah. With, oh no! With like one one hundred one 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 hundred <laughs> that came out like I was Count Dracula, <laughs> one one hundredth of the quality issues that uh, the Tesla has. Yeah, maybe. But there, there's some suggestions here too that that Ford or GM, right, that they should separate these things. That the automakers should have a an ICE version and then an EV version of the company, right? And it'll make it easier to val evaluate or, or to yeah. value evaluate. Yeah. Why would why would they do that for them? How is that good for them? No, I know. I'm not saying it, it is. I'm just saying that's what the analysts are saying. It, it, it would also make it always easier want to for know them. More. Yeah, well, we right. we wanted AWS numbers before Amazon <laughs> gave them to us too, and then when they finally let us out, it was like, ah, dang it, they yeah, were killing well, it. <laughs> they're also suggesting suggesting. Wow, I cannot talk. I guess it's Friday afternoon, really. Um, but if you ha if you were to separate these components, you know, you had a different division or a different company, maybe entirely something like that, that you'd get easier access to capital because you have better insight into where the money's going and all that kind of stuff. And then, do we think you know, that Ford and GM are having access to capital problems? Are they? I'm, I don't. I'm, I'm not an analyst. The, I'm no, I don't know. Asking. 
I don't know. I don't know how much cash is on the books here, but uh, I, I feel I'm like the analysts and the reports are saying in the in the as, news as the random Joe on the street that finds it curious but doesn't know what he's talking about. I I find it hard to believe that that's in Ford and GM's best interest because I doubt their access to capital is as big of a problem as someone's trying to make it sound. Yeah. And I don't think that they have any interest in telling us how successful or not their EV division is doing. Yeah. Yeah. That's, I mean, both very fair points. And I'm guessing they don't have uh, money issues if they're saying they're going to put 29 billion into EVs. But yeah. it also tells you too, that if they don't, they don't really <laughs> see a future. For you to put that side of size of a bet down on the table. Sure. Yeah. Yeah. It's gone quick. Well, that's like, uh, I mean, the oil and gas industry is going through the same thing right now. It's, yeah. it's the, it, the BPs, the Exxons, the she, uh, Chevrons of the world, right? They, they've been very publicly pushing back against all of the subsidies and, and basically all of the pushes for wind and solar and, and other, you know, renewable energy sources until overnight, they're all like, no, we're good with that now because they, they're in the market. Like, yeah. fine, do wind power. We, we yeah. own like 80% of that now too. So we're good. We're good with the transition. We saw the errors of our ways slash. We took a decade to fix the way our balance was built and now we're trying to, you know, squeeze money from each other in the space. Uh, and Adam being a little obtuse there, right? But the, I, I don't, I don't know. It would not surprise me if the Fords and GMs of the world are undervalued right now. But mm-hmm. it's also really hard to tell if is Ford undervalued or is Tesla so grossly overvalued? Both. Yeah, and, and where's is it middle? Are we like, are we five dollars more per share for Ford, but like? $800 less Tesla, per share for Tesla. <laughs> what was the fact? I shared something the other day. It was like at, at Tesla's current market cap, it would take them, it was over 1,500 years to make the money back on that to actually insane. achieve that level of valuation. It was insane. So maybe that's how we just need to value Ford and Chevy or uh, GM. It's just yeah. based on a 1,500-year horizon. Jeez, dude. <laughs> People are crazy, man. Stonks it, only go up. It's it's insane. Well, that's what's that's what's ridiculous about this. Like Elon can sit there on Twitter and say just the dumbest stuff, including and, Tesla's overpriced. By yes, the way, yes, it, like for him, for like, who would ever do that? Nobody, right? <laughs> Nobody would ever get on there and say your own stock is overpriced. And so that in and of itself became a joke, which caused people to go buy more Tesla. They're like, yep. this is crazy. I'm buying it. Nope. The market, the market is insanely out of whack. I don't know that we're valuating almost anything with the appropriate yardsticks yeah. right Dude, now. Dude, people and, talk fundamentals. It's like there's no fundamentals in, in modern history right now. It's, <laughs> well, and this is why I think the, the GameStop and AMC saga will continue to be in the news a little bit for no yeah. other reason than we are seeing something we've never seen before, which is sentiment has more to do with how valuable a stock can be right. than fundamentals yeah. by a long shot. Yeah, the quote the keep the, the the quote that keeps coming out is because I like the stock, right? That's well, the reason. They, <laughs> so that that deal. one's because the SEC in its grand brilliance thinks that investigating Reddit makes more sense than investigating hedge funds and the massive short positions and the the conglomerate that is yeah. the 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 entire market fundamentals okay. really you're going to Dude. investigate a social media platform and then call them barbarians at the gate. Which <laughs> nonsense. Okay. So, so right. that, that whole joke came off of that though. It's just like, I'm not, I'm not buying this to pump and dump it. I just like the stock. Yeah. It's <laughs> <laughs> too good. It's too good. Oh, uh, all right. So one other thing that was in the notes here, um, the cloud wars stuff that came up here, this was reported in Axios. Um, Let's see. So in the same day that Jeff Bezos said he was stepping down, uh, there was reports on AWS and Google Cloud platform revenue and profitability and all that kind of stuff. So uh, per Axios, uh, AWS pulled in revenue of $43.4 billion in 2020, a profit of $13.5 billion. Right. And a lot of times you'll hear AWS and then also GCP, um, uh, you know, Google Cloud in the same kind of conversation. But by comparison, Google Cloud's revenue was only 13.1 billion with a loss of 5.6 billion. So their revenue number wasn't even as high as AWS's profit. profit. Yeah. Yeah. 
And this is why you keep business secret until you have a distinct and massive lead. <laughs> yeah. 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 So nobody go, needs uh, to know how good my financials look on that side of the business until I'm ready to step down at a trillion dollar valuation and let the head of that business unit take it. Yeah. Home. Yeah. <laughs> and they even compared too. So, I mean, because Google Cloud is still posting what it says here, posting huge losses as it ramps its enterprise cloud presence. What's worth noting, though, is that the same corporate age as Google Cloud is now, so nine years in, AWS was posting a profit of $1.8 billion oh, wow. on revenue of $7.9 billion. You gotta, I, I'm always curious here, and this would be, it'd be really fun to have a financial analyst that could get into this stuff, though, is what, what are the chances that Google is just legally, but manipulating numbers to make that look more lossy than it is. Hmm. Is there yeah. an advantage to making that number look the way that it looks right Could now? Could be, yeah. Um, and, and I'm curious, because I don't, I don't know what legal confines they have. I don't know what they must disclose and to what level yeah. of detail, stuff like that. But You're I, saying there could be a strategy where they put all their lossy things in one bucket sure. and call it that? Yeah. And then other and, things- And I think, I think they can. Like, I think yeah. the company at a certain level has to provide, you know, correct guidance right yeah. obviously that that's true there's lots of legal law or financial law that goes into that but they don't necessarily have to tell you whether or not gcp is responsible as an example you could potentially burden the gcp with 100 percent of every employee that works for google if you wanted to no one would believe you but you could put that in your numbers yeah and so i or at least I, i'm guessing i'm or curious i should say so i don't know i I find it interesting that AWS made it so profitable and, and Google is bleeding by all measures there. But I, I wonder too, if you read into the details, if they provide any clarity, right? Like why was there a $5 billion loss? Did they, did they build $2 trillion worth of data centers this year? And so there's a massive loss because they're, they're looking at 10Xing next year or something like that. There, there's just a, there's a lot of information that I don't think we have with those numbers. And I doubt, Google's a slouch at making them look however they want. Yeah, no, good point. All right, what else you got before we shut it down for a Friday and I go sing happy birthday and shh, don't tell my daughter, but we got her a pinata. That's all she wanted for her birthday. She said, I want a massive unicorn pinata that will drop, what did she say? Like, I can't remember, Starburst and M&Ms or something. Delicious. So we're going to go have fun. Even though I don't eat those things. Said, um, Dad, you get a turn with the bat. And I was like, yes, yeah, we'll wait yeah. till you're completely, completely done with it. Then an hour <laughs> later, I'll go out there and I'll hit it. <laughs> quack, quack, quack. <laughs> um, actually, I, an article that uh, my neighbor shared with me, and uh, it's I'm not used to having tech news delivered to me by other people. This, I feel like I'm usually catching that stuff early or on the Twitters with fans that know what we're getting to. But uh, Amazon has officially begun testing. Uh, consumer customer deliveries using uh, Rivian Vans, which is, okay. which is neat. So there's a, a short article and it, it just said, basically, I mean, it reads as a bit of a hype article uh, as a tech crunch article that, that talks about it. And it's definitely written from like a Rivian perspective where they're saying people will, you know, flag us down and ask us, you know, what's going on with that cool looking vehicle and whatnot. But it did get into some of the, the features that are pretty impressive. Um, like some of the I know, I know I see this because one of the subreddits I Is enjoy it just is to say that it's autonomous? No, 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 it's not. It's not strictly about autonomy uh, or okay. the autonomous driving side of things. It's, uh, so so they, they include things like um, just traffic assistance, right? Oh, so I get lane you. changes, uh, being able to change on a dime, routing, I'm sure, is part of that, right? But they also have 360 view cameras so they can see around all sides of the vehicle, which, you know, these things are becoming more stock in, in I guess, consumer vehicles as well. But think about that from like a package delivery perspective that's a it's a good security thing it's it's also good for employee tracking whether you feel comfortable about that or not um but it, it's arguably good for their safety as well it also talks about because it's an electric vehicle and this comes up a lot there's a ton more interior interior space oh so yeah they have a larger volume and they've got three tiers uh, or the way that at least the one they were describing was outfit. Basically it can hold more stuff in a more compelling way as That's well. That's awesome. So Plus it makes it a ton of sense for delivery. Well, yeah, obviously. <laughs> I don't know. I don't know. No, but, I've uh, just, I've, I've been looking so much at the EV stuff versus, uh, you know, some of the higher end. There was one I watched last night about a, uh, it's the lower end Porsche Taycan uh, versus a model Y 
uh, a Tesla mm. Model Y and just like torches it, just torches this Porsche. And it's like, it's not even funny. Off the uh, line. Like, man. wow. The oh my goodness. Yeah. I'm sure that they'll be doing lots of drag racing in there. Yeah. Vehicle. The highest in the Taycan, right? The, the, it's an EV, but they call it a turbo S, which again, I was complaining about because it doesn't actually have a turbocharger, turbo. right? It's not like, sucking in and compressing air and shoving it in. Maybe they, maybe they call the, the charging station, a turbocharger and, and they making you a liar. Mm. But anyway, the highest in version of that would beat the Tesla, I think. Right. But it's also 200 K. The entry That's is 79K. And so they compared it at the same price against the Tesla, which actually I think was slightly cheaper, but it was like three times faster. Yeah. And then, uh, oh, what was the other thing? <laughs> hey, wait, yeah. while you think of that thing, I, I think I have to I have to give Tesla the win here. They, they might be the only ones that actually have a turbo charging capability, period. The, <laughs> because the superchargers? combustion edge is this stupid name. They're not chargers. They're not charging anything. What? They, they they chose wrong. <laughs> you saying they the turbocharger is named wrong? Years, decades ago. Yeah, and yeah. and Tesla's just taking it back. Yeah, no, that's a good point. <laughs> Misappropriation good point. of words. Oh man, what was the other thing I was gonna say? It was um something about Porsches and then Teslas. Oh, I can't even remember. Whatever, I've looked at so much of that stuff. The, right, um, the last thing I'll bring up yeah, while, while you try to drag that out of your brain uh, was just a title because I chuckled when I saw it and I'm not even going to get into what they're talking about. I'm just going to leave the listeners to think about it on their own. But Ars Technica has an article, as usual, it's long, it's detailed, but like I said, didn't read it yet. Uh, the, the title is Always Harmony OS, Fake It Till You Make It meets OS development. <laughs> what? <laughs> I, what? That made me laugh because it, there's so much shade in that title. Yeah. Fake it till you make it meets OS development. Like basically what you have is a steaming pile, but maybe you'll get there one day. <laughs> oh my gosh. Uh, and on that note, I think <laughs> we're going to have to bring this Tech Breakfast yeah, podcast to a close. Thank you, everyone, for joining us this week today. Thank you for listening. Thank you for subscribing. Thank you for sharing with your friends. Thank you for tossing a little oh. bit of scratch our way in support on our Patreon site. And Aaron just thought of something. Don't forget to watch our Super Bowl ad Sunday night. <gasps> Tech Breakfast Podcast Super Bowl ad coming at you. Keep your eyes out. <laughs> News to me. <laughs> we Did we buy that? Uh, what, which spot was it? Which uh, advertiser backed out? It was Budweiser or something. Yeah, yeah it's it Budweiser. the spot right before we got the, the Budweiser show. spot. Yeah, we yeah. get the right before the halftime show. So everyone's in their seat. They've got their popcorn. They're waiting. They're like, oh, this is going to be incredible. Yeah. And then boom, Tech Breakfast podcast comes on. Yeah. Budweiser it's, backed out. Hundred gajillion dollar spot. But they yeah. were like, oh, no, we don't have anybody to fill it. Anybody out there got an idea? We raised our hands. Yeah. Boom. Those of y'all that remember the uh, the Sevops days, you'll you'll catch the little homage in there with our little different colored sunglasses. Uh, it's just it's mint. Okay, go ahead. Sorry. Yeah, that's right. Watch the Super Bowl to catch the TBP ad that yep. probably is totally going to not. Also, maybe yes, be there. Which team do you think is going to win, Tyler? The, the football team. Is <laughs> that right, the right let, sport? All right, all right, I'll let you go. <laughs> I don't know who's playing in it. I really don't. Yeah. I actually didn't know we had the Chiefs and the Bucks. Yeah. Chiefs and the Bucks. Are those so, it might are those football teams? Yeah, Kansas City Chiefs. They won last Can't, year. Nope, I knew that one. And oh. the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. They have Tom Brady, yeah. who oh, is like Brady. the goat. Yes, exactly. Heard of that guy. Yeah. So he left. Uh, he left the Patriots, and he basically just was like walking around, like, "Which team wants to go to the Super Bowl next year?" Oh, Buccaneers. Wow. Okay, cool. I'll go take you. That's wrong. I love it. See that? This is it. This is just like the running thing. Like I, Tom Brady excites me about whatever sport we're talking about because he sounds like a totally inhuman, amazing. He's also like 62 machine. years old. Dang. Playing against Patrick Mahomes. Who's like 17. That's so. freaking cool. Wow. That seems, is he going to beat him up? <laughs> okay. Let's go. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks for listening. Y'all have a great weekend. We're out. Peace. <laughs>